Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 94, Are We Losing the Art of Storytelling? This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Here on the podcast, we talk about all things video, from how to write a story to how to price your work. We talk about it all on this podcast. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh that is a private group on Facebook. So be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a place to come and share your work, ask for feedback, uh, look for new camera news or things that are coming out, participate in conversations about the podcast or other topics and things of that nature. So be sure to go to Filming with Josh on Facebook and ask to join the group today. So I realized when I came up with the title for today's podcast topic that sometimes I tend to be a little grim in my in my podcast topics. I, I, I talk about things that maybe I am frustrated about or things that don't make sense to me. And this is another one of those podcast topics. And I realize I need to have some more positive <laughs> podcast topics. Um, but in saying that, there are some things out there that I feel like we need to talk about. And this is one of those things. And that is, are we losing the art of storytelling? My wife and I love to watch movies. We love to watch uh, Netflix series or different streaming series. And for us, it's a way that we can relax in the evenings after we put the kids down and we just want to chill and do nothing but watch something together and talk about it afterward. And we've been doing that pretty much our whole relationship. And for us, we've really noticed over the last 10 plus years a change in the way that stories are being told. And this isn't for every single project out there, but a lot of movies and doc series and things that we watch and consume today are not told very well. In fact, if you even go on to places like YouTube and, and, and watch videos on Instagram and things like that, you can see how storytelling is shifting. And it's becoming more and more and more about getting content out really fast and turning a buck and moving on to the next project. And unfortunately, it oftentimes means that the story and, and, and the art of storytelling is getting lost. Does it mean it's lost forever? I don't know. I don't think so. I think as humans, we are inherently storytellers. If you go back and look at cave paintings or petroglyphs and things like that, you can see that people have been telling stories since the dawn of time. So I don't think that storytelling in and of itself is going anywhere. It's always been here. It always will be. But I think the art of how we tell stories is starting to change and not necessarily in a good way. And that's what I want to talk about in today's podcast. Now, as always in my podcast, there's usually something that inspires me to do an episode over a certain topic. And for me, this episode was inspired by a Yeti project I watch on YouTube called River Pirate that just came out a handful of days ago. My friend Kyle Bamberger from Modern Legacy, he's a DP that lives in Iowa. He came down to Texas with his wife uh, this past week and spent a week here at my house with my wife and I, and we 
went around the hill country and just did all kinds of fun stuff together. Uh, but Kyle is very similar to me. We do a lot of similar type of work, and that's why we've been friends and why he came down to visit for the last week. And while he was here, Yeti released a uh, Yeti Presents film. If you don't know what Yeti Presents is, it's a series of films that Yeti uh, comes out with every year. And this project was called River Pirate. And I, I thought the timing of it was very ironic because it was about the Texas water safari, which happens to be here where I live in the Texas Hill Country, right on the San Marcos River. And what was so ironic was that right when it came out, Kyle and I had just gotten through fly fishing the San Marcos River and had uh, just taken him and his wife to float the San Marcos River at the starting point of where the Texas Water Safari Race begins. And so we had just done that. I had just taken them there to show them that. And then all of a sudden at the same time, Yeti came out with this short film called River Pirate about the Texas Water Safari, which starts on the San Marcos River right where we were. I just thought the timing was so ironic. So of course, we had to watch it when we saw it came out. So Kyle and I were in my office and playing playing with my son and looking at fly fishing gear and stuff when we saw that that film that came out. And I was like, dude, I, I just put you there on the river right at that exact spot where the, the project takes place, like right where the race gets started. We should watch it. And so we did. And I was completely disappointed. It was terrible. And I want to dive into what I thought made it terrible and why I was so disappointed. And then from there, I'm going to go in and talk about some other projects I've seen and give examples of of storytelling elements that are lacking in various projects. But we're going to start with this Yeti Presents project that Kyle and I watched. So again, if you haven't seen the Yeti Presents series, basically Yeti teams up with various production companies to put out X number of films every year. And all of these films are basically sponsored by or paid for in part or in full by Yeti. And River Pirate is just one example of one of their short film projects that they released this year. And Yeti's got a huge following, and their short films tend to do pretty well. But they definitely have had some that should have been really good that weren't. And this is not the first one I was disappointed in. And I'm, I have another one in my list here that I want to talk about. But this is their latest one that really disappointed me. And I think it's very interesting because if you look at Yeti projects that come out, you know, they're produced by various different companies or various different people because Yeti hires or contracts other production companies who pitch them ideas and things, right? And don't go off this podcast thinking that you can just go pitch something to Yeti and then they'll do a film on it because Yeti gets an incredible amount of submissions every week. So that's not going to happen, right? I mean, it might happen. I, maybe I shouldn't say it's not going to happen. But the point is, is that you would be one of thousands of people who try to get Yeti to sponsor a film, okay? So it's it's kind of difficult to get them to team up and do a project with you on, on a story that you might pitch to them. Um, so to get in the door and get the opportunity to present a project for Yeti, that's a pretty good accomplishment. So to me, when that happens, when you are getting your idea paid for in full or in part by a company like Yeti that has a huge following and that everyone always looks for their film projects, to me, you should make something that is very well told, 
very well put together, very well shot, so that it not only captures the audience that it's presented to, but that it does a good job of reflecting Yeti who has given you the budget to put together this this project, right? But unfortunately, sometimes some of these projects are amiss. And I don't understand that because you have resources, you have a budget, you have the opportunity and the story's right in front of you, but somehow some of the people who produce these films just flat out miss. And River Pirate was a miss. So let me explain what it is. So the Texas Water Safari is what the River Pirate essentially was about. And the Texas Water Safari is one of the most grueling canoe races in the world. It is a 200, I want to make sure and get this right, Texas Water Safari. I want to make sure I quote this correctly. But basically, the Texas Water Safari is a 260, that's the, that's the official number, a 260-mile canoe race. And it begins in San Marcos, Texas, right at the headwaters of the San Marcos River. And it goes from San Marcos all the way down to the Texas Gulf Coast. And it's 260 miles. And usually people complete it in two days, which if you think about it, that's a long way to go in two 24-hour days to go 260 miles in a canoe. That is a long, long way. And people have gotten severely injured on this race because it is brutal. You are not only paddling a long distance, but you're doing it in such a short amount of time because it's a race that you are exerting your body to a point that it starts to break down. It's very common that people hallucinate before they get to the end. They start seeing things, especially at nighttime, because you're paddling through the night. You're not like paddling during the day and camping at night. You're paddling for two straight days. So you are starting to sometimes hallucinate and see things. Your hands are just extremely blistered and bruised. Your body is soaking wet for two straight days, so very wrinkled up, you know. If you grab somebody and you twisted them, you'd probably wring water out of them type of thing. Um, and, you know, people sometimes don't drink enough water and it's very hot, so you can um, de get dehydrated very, very fast. Uh, people have gotten severely injured in terms of they've uh, started to hallucinate and black out and hit their heads on overhanging logs and things. Like there's been a lot of injuries on this canoe race. It's pretty insane. It's one of the toughest canoe race and, and many people call it the toughest canoe race in the world. And I have seen the Texas Water Safari because you can actually go when it happens every year because it's a yearly race. You can go on certain parts of the San Marcos River and watch the racers as they've come by. And I've done that uh, more than once. And it's insane. It's really cool, especially toward the beginning because everyone's kind of close together and, you know, fighting each other and going down rapids and portaging around things extremely fast so they have to. And it's just like really intense. And then as time goes on, you start to see people drop out, you know, and because ju just finishing is a feat. If you can just finish the race, you've accomplished something, uh, let alone winning it. And, and many, 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 many people never finish. They can't. It's too hard. And so 
you see these people at first, they're coming down the river, it's insane, there's all these racers everywhere, and then as the day goes on and you start getting day two, they start dropping like flies until you only have a certain amount of canoes left, and those people are just basically trying to stay alive and make it to the end. It's pretty nuts. And I've watched it, it's pretty incredible. But when Yeti came out with this project called River Pirate, they missed by far most of that story that I just explained to you. They followed, essentially, uh, a guy, J.T. Van Zant, and a girl who was from Hawaii. Uh, and the guy was a, a, a local. He's a fly fishing guide here in the Hill Country. And he's done that race like five times. And he invited this girl from Hawaii to come do the race with him. And they did the race together and the story kind of followed them as they did the race. Uh, spoiler alert. And I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. There's going to be a lot of spoilers in this podcast. So if you don't want um, to hear anything about what I'm going to say, skip to the next project, but I am going to talk a lot about projects here. So just know this is full of spoilers, but in this, in this film, they ended up, ended up winning first place. Um, and so not only was the project featuring them, but they ended up winning it. And toward the end, if you look at the shots at the end of the girl, uh, her abs look like somebody took a baseball bat and beat her in the stomach over and over again. I mean, they were so black and blue. It, it was nuts. There was a, a lot of just visible pain and just overall tiredness that she went through. And so did JT to finish this race. And so you had this incredible opportunity to capture that and document that and really tell a story around that and really tell the story of the Texas water safari and its history and what have happened to people over the years and show other racers and stuff. But they didn't do any of that. They, at the very beginning, kind of slightly said what the Texas water safari was, where it was, and they had a little map that showed where it it went to. So it started out with a lot of promise, but then that was it. They didn't really show any other racers at all. And they didn't really do too much filming really of, of when they started, you know, really getting tired and, and really getting started getting beat up and things like they showed some of that, but not a lot. And as someone who's a local and who knows what the race is like and have seen all the people in the race and have seen all the injuries and know the history behind it, I, I just can't believe they didn't dive into any of that. They didn't dive into any of that, hardly at all. They just brushed the surface. And you could tell that this was just a kind of easy, put-together little project they put together and threw out there. And, and it missed so much of what makes this the toughest canoe race in the world. This is literally the toughest canoe race in the world. And you had the opportunity to tell that story, but you just barely scratched the surface. And I don't understand why. It was... Such a miss. The story could have been so much better. And they even started it like the first shots of the film showed the girl and they made it and, and she was in a lot of pain and they made it seem like like maybe she wasn't going to be able to finish the race. That's how it started. And so you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to get good. But then that that like was like such a small thing that happened in the film. Like they didn't hardly play that up at all when it actually came time to show her getting getting delirious and getting injured. Like they, they barely did anything on that. It was just such a letdown. I was extremely disappointed. And I said earlier, that's not, not the first time that I've been disappointed by a Yeti film. I've seen some great ones, but I've seen some like this that have been duds. And another one is also about a Texas river called the Devils. The Devils River is a tremendous river in Texas. It's 
absolutely amazing. It's this South Texas river that is near Mexico and it is absolutely pristine and beautiful. Most of the river is bordered, bordered by gigantic ranches and there are only certain spots you can get in the river at as a civilian and only so many places you can exit and only so many places you can camp. Usually if you're going to go kayak or fish, like fly fish the Devil's River, typically you're going to be on it for like 50 miles, four or five day float, kind of floating through fishing like 10 miles a day. You're going to, it's going to take you like four or five, six days to do it. And there are designated spots that you can pull over to camp, but you're not allowed to get out anywhere else on the river because it's so protected and so pristine. And it looks like you're taking a step back in time. The ecology, the, the, the animals, the fish that live there is just tremendous. The scenery is tremendous. And yet he did a film on the devil's river called the devils. And it was well shot. Like the cinematography was great. They had a lot of great aerials. They had a lot of great underwater footage. They had scope action shots. And basically what they did is they followed a well-known fly fishing guide from the hill country uh, down to the devils as he went down there on, on this trip and fished it with a friend or two. And they kind of followed them down there and, and did a little film on the devil's river called the devils. But they missed again so much of what makes the Devil's River amazing. The story felt very empty, very, very lacking, and they did a very poor job of really diving into what makes the river special. They kind of briefly talked about it, but barely. And honestly, they could have made it so much better. They could have incorporated like maybe an interview from, or, or at least some in-person supporting footage of biologists talking about the river. They could have had more of a story of the trip, but instead it was mainly just B-roll and music. And it had a little bit of voiceover from and from some interviews that were done with the protagonist, but it was just very, very surface level, not very deep, missing so much depth. And, and that's the problem I notice on a lot of these projects is that they, there's no depth. They're very shallow, very short, very surface level, and they don't really dive into things that make these particular stories or rivers or races so special. And it's very disappointing. And I have every single person that I know that knows about the Devil's River who's seen the Yeti project on it, they all say the same thing. Beautiful cinematography, horrible story. And I feel like Yeti had the opportunity to really do, to team up with someone to really do the Devil's River justice to show people why it's called the Devil's River. I mean, he doesn't even talk about that. And like what makes it so special, but instead... They just had this little pretty film with some music and some talking, and then that was it. Just once again, very flat, just missing so much depth. Another one is Oppenheimer. Again, spoilers, guys. If you if you haven't seen this then and, and, and you want to see it, don't listen. But I'm going to talk about Oppenheimer next. I was so excited to see Oppenheimer, and it happened to be released on my birthday. And so I told my wife, I was like, hey, all I want to do for my birthday is... Um, because her parents were going to come down. I said, let's just have your parents watch the kids and let's you and I go on a day date and we'll go during the day to see Oppenheimer the day it comes out on my birthday. And so that's what we did. And I was really excited. You know, Oppenheimer was severely hyped so much about all the different aspects behind it beyond beyond just the film and, and, and like the story. It was hyped uh, in the fact that Christopher Nolan shot it and that he used very little um, very little CGI and, and, and mainly focused on uh, using practical effects, which by the way, there's a misconception that there is absolutely no uh, graphics work in the project. And that's not true. There was like 270 something uh, graphical shots, very little 
compared to a normal uh, Christopher Nolan film, and almost all of it was practicals, but there was some CGI and graphics work. And so when you hear people say that it had no CGI, that's not necessarily true. It just had very little of it. And But that was hyped up, right? Like it's, it's done with pretty much all practical effects. It's shot on uh, a 70 millimeter IMAX. They had a special black and white IMAX film uh, stock uh, created for this particular project that had never even been created before in the past. And so they hyped it up so much. And I bought into the hype thinking, man, this is going to be freaking awesome. And we went to the theaters and we watched this nearly three hour long movie and we walked out and my wife asked me when we got in the truck. She goes, so what'd you think? And I said, meh. And she goes, yeah, same. And the reason why we felt that way is because we felt like the story was not very good. And the thing is, I think a lot of what praise Oppenheimer gets because it gets a lot of praise online, I truly in my heart believe that a lot of it, a lot of the praise comes from people getting so hyped that they bought into the hype and just think it's good. Because I feel like if, if you seriously are analytical about it and you sit down and you just really watch the film as a, as just a, as a movie, it's honestly kind of boring and it misses out on what I think they should have made the story about. If you watched, again, spoiler alert, but if you watched Oppenheimer and and someone was to ask you what's Oppenheimer about, the best way to summarize it is to say, well, it's a story about a guy who loses his security clearance. Because that's pretty much what it's about, right? If you watch Oppenheimer, like the bulk of the film is about him losing his security clearance. And like the bomb, the bomb, which is supposed to have been, I thought, the climax of the film was completed and tested like halfway through the film almost. And so the rest of the project was just watching them dive back and forth through this somewhat of a, of what I would call a trial (laughs) over whether or not Robert Oppenheimer should lose his security clearance. Like that was the whole project for the most part. And what a miss. Like if you watch the trailer, it's incredibly misleading. They make it sound like this is Robert Oppenheimer and, and him in the United States are in the race against the Nazis and a race against Germany to develop this bomb because if they don't, it's it's going to be developed at first by the wrong people and be in the wrong hands. And, and it's this true story about how they developed this bomb and, and, and what it did in the aftermath of it. But honestly, that was like one third of the film because the vast majority of it was just him defending why he should get keep should get to keep his security clearance. And honestly, what a waste of IMAX footage, by the way, and a waste of money because it costs an incredible amount of money to produce that on 70 millimeter IMAX, not to mention the black and white film that had to be developed for it. And honestly, it wasn't worth it. Why, why was it shot in IMAX when the vast majority of the project took place in a small room where people talked back and forth on trial? Because if you watch the film, that's pretty much what it is. Like, like 65% of the film takes place in this little small room where people are asking him questions. That's like 65% of the entire film. Why did that need to be on IMAX? That makes absolutely no sense. It's just a waste of film. You could have shot that on a Sony a7S III and it would have been fine because <laughs> there's like there, you're not, like, not gaining anything from it being an IMAX, but they hype the whole film up about it being shot on IMAX and, and how incredible that was going to be, plus the fact that it's this story about this bomb being developed, but that wasn't the story at all. 
it, the story was him losing his security clearance and the bomb was just a part of that. And honestly, I, I think it was such a flop personally. And I know in real life, it's not a flop. People watch it. But again, I think that it's because it got hyped up so much and people bought into the hype. But as someone who's pretty analytical and honest, because remember, I said I bought into the hype. I was excited. But I'm I'm very honest. And honestly, I thought it was a six out of 10. I thought that, you know, it looked nice and it's cool seeing Einstein and, you know, learning more about the story about Oppenheimer and, and, and his, you know, who he was. But honestly, outside of that, meh, wasn't that good. The story should have been more focused on who Robert Oppenheimer was, how he became to be, how him and his team developed the bomb. It should have been about that. It should have been about the trials that they ran into developing, developing it, the struggles they ran into, and then maybe like two thirds or, or maybe even three quarters of the way in, have it be successfully tested, have it be used in war, World War II, and then show the aftermath of how that affected his life and then call it a day. Like that should have been the project, but that wasn't the project at all. And they throw in a bunch of random sex scenes that make no sense at all. Like I get what they were. Okay. Let me say this. I think that they, they had a point, like there's this one shot where his lover, who's not his wife was, um, they were showing a vision of her having sex with him while he was on trial sitting in a chair and she was staring at his wife in this vision that his wife was having. And I get that the idea was that it was trying to show the wife um, reliving the trauma of him cheating on her. I get that, but it was completely unnecessary. Like that did not need to be in there, especially as graphically as they made it. And I'm not trying to say that as like some Bible thumper or something, but I am, even though I am Christian, but my point is, is that I just feel like in general, in general, that, that was just like a shock and all thing that added nothing to the story and made it to where, oh, well now I can't take the kids to see it. And, and for no reason at all, because it doesn't, didn't add anything to the story at all. It's just like, come on, seriously. It's just like cheap stuff, cheap stuff. And Christopher Nolan does what he always does. He tries to have these very complex stories with all these different timelines happening at once, which is part of why he had this black and white film developed because he thought we'll have certain timelines be in black and white and and then some timelines be in color, but the ones that are in black and white aren't necessarily always the same timeline. Like it just doesn't make sense. And so it was just all over the place, constantly jumping from timeline to timeline from different different years and it just made no sense for this project. It didn't need to be complex. There's just, why, why? Why did this need to be complex like that? It, it's not that kind of film. Like Interstellar had multiple timelines and Christopher Nolan killed it with Interstellar. The, his story in Interstellar was amazing and the multiple timelines made perfect sense because the whole story was focused on time and Einstein's theory of relativity. So for that project, the multiple timelines and jumping around th- through them made an absolute ton of sense. And Oppenheimer, no, it didn't make sense at all. It was just a cheap trick, just like he did in Tenet. Tenet was a complete flop. And honestly, Oppenheimer should have been had it not have been as hyped up. That's my opinion. I think he completely missed on the story. And once again, 
just lacked the art of storytelling. He tried to have cheap tricks. Oh, let's shoot it on IMAX. We'll hype it up because it's shot on IMAX and we'll hype it up because we got a bunch of big name actors and we'll throw some shock and all sex scenes in there. And we'll also um, try to confuse everybody with multiple timelines and that'll make a great movie rather than just focusing on having a really good story. Honestly, if you just focus on having a good story, you, you wouldn't have had to do half that and it would have been amazing. It would have been better than what it was. And I just, once again, feel lack of, lack of storytelling. It's just not there. Another one, Jurassic World Dominion. That's the final uh, project in the Jurassic World or Jurassic Park series. As a kid, I grew up loving Jurassic Park. My wife and I, after we started dating, we would watch through every Jurassic Park uh, every year. Usually in the summertime, we'd watch through like every single one of them. And we loved them. And they aren't always perfect, you know, like the second movie and that came out wasn't the best, but it still was pretty good. You know, like overall they were, they were good watches. Jurassic World Dominion was horrible. It had everything it needed to be amazing. They brought back all the original cast, plus the new cast, people like Chris Pratt. They had them all, all together at one time and had the story be about the dinosaurs being a part of our everyday world now, being everywhere in our world. That should have been freaking epic. When you have the original cast mixed with the new cast like Chris Pratt and you have them all together and, and dinosaurs are roaming the world, which inevitably we always kind of thought that's what it would lead to. And you have it. That's where we're at. But then the whole thing is based around these like scary, large grasshopper locust things. And the story was horrible and, and pretty much just had nothing but a bunch of really cheap moments of action to basically tell the story. It was horrible. It was honestly so bad that I wish I could write a letter and ask that Universal redo that film and just do it justice because <laughs> I think they should throw this in the trash and pretend they didn't make it and get the cast back and, and do the whole thing all over again because making the whole thing which started out as this project that was scary and maybe not scary but like the thought of it was scary like having these giant t-rexes and and velociraptors running around but now it ends with a giant locust slash grasshopper looking thing that's your that's the monster that's going to be the ending monster of your story seriously like, and then, and then you're going to have the whole cast there and you're not going to really tap into that. And you're going to have a bunch of just like really cheap dinosaur moments and Chris Pratt sticking his hand up to the dinosaurs 3000 times because they did it once before and people liked it. So now they're just going to do it 20 million times. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It was just a horrible story. And this is the thing that kills my wife and I, like we talk about this all the time, but when we watch movies like Jurassic World, they don't have to do much because like take Jurassic World Dominion, for example, they had everything they needed to make it epic. Everything. You don't have to do a whole lot to make Jurassic World Dominion epic. You had the original cast. You had the fact that the dinosaurs are going to be all over the world now. Like that's all you needed. So you had all the pieces to do something amazing and you just flopped. It was just terrible. And so what they, what they should have done, in my opinion, is they should have had a, a film that started off with this like really crazy horrific moment, maybe it starts off, um, you know, like the original Jurassic Park started off with 
um, them having uh, velociraptors in this trailer, kind of like a horse trailer, it's like a dinosaur trailer, right? And a worker got like ripped into the trailer and that's how the film starts. They could have started the final one somewhat similar. They could have had like an American family watching a game of baseball on TV and the evening, and then you just see a shadow of a velociraptor uh, going along the wall uh, across the TV and in the living room. And that'd be like the way that you introduce the fact that dinosaurs are here now and they're everywhere. And you could have started it off like that. Or, Or maybe even they were watching like the Super Bowl or something. And then all of a sudden, like dinosaurs get into the Super Bowl. It's just like, I don't know. They like they could have just made it more about more about how scary it is and crazy it is that dinosaurs are a part of our everyday world now rather than make some like weird mutated grasshopper and talk about cloning people. Like I it's just it was such a flop, man. Such a flop. I I, I would never watch that film again. Uh, another one is like the series you like my wife and I used to watch the series you it was a great series on Netflix uh, about if you don't know what it is about a guy who like talks to himself throughout the, the 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 series you hear his voice all the time and he seems like somewhat of a decent dude but he ends up being this serial killer but he justifies every kill right like it's he's constantly justifying it to himself oh i've got to kill this person because he's harming the girl that i'm into which really he's stalking people he stalks the girls that he's into but he doesn't see it that way he sees it as i love this person i care about them i'm going to protect them at all costs but it's crazy it's like a really good twisted show that kind of makes you like the bad character and kind of makes you at times feel sorry for him or understand him, even though he's a horrible person and is a mass murderer, right? Like the concept behind you is fantastic. And the first season was so good. And the second season was pretty decent. But then the third season, it was like they didn't know what to do anymore. It was like they didn't know how to make the story continue. They didn't know what to do to make it good. So instead they just were like, well, on the third season, let's just have him and his now wife just kill like 50 people. And so they're just like constantly killing. And now, now the murder no longer is impactful because in the first film and the fur in the first series, the first season of you, anytime someone got killed, which happened only like a handful of times, but when it did happen, it was a big moment in the story. So it was, it felt very impactful. Whereas in like the third season by the, and there's four seasons now, but by the time you get to the third season, people are dying so fast, constantly everywhere. Everybody's dying everywhere, constantly being murdered to the point that it's now cheap and no longer is impactful anymore because they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with the story. So let's just start killing everybody. And it just made no sense and, and completely killed what was a fantastic series. And so we just see this over and over and over and over again to the point where we sometimes have to sit down and ask ourselves, when's the last time we watch a project that really was good, that had a really good story, whether it's a, a short film on YouTube or whether it is a streaming um, series like you or whether it is a, a documentary film or, or a movie, like when's the last time we watched something that was just really, really well done? Not just from the footage and not just from the 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 graphics or the the music or score or things like that, but but something that had like a really great story 
And to be honest, I feel like we're disappointed today way more than we are um, satisfied with the projects that we watch. And we see this everywhere, especially when you go to places like YouTube or social media, where people are churning out all different sorts of, of short film projects and things. But so many of them are lacking a, a good story. And so you, you watch them and you just end up leaving feeling meh. And then you don't even really remember it anymore. And that, I think, is part of what is leading us to this problem. It's the fact that we're trying to churn out movies and short films and doc projects and social media content so quickly that in the process, we're no longer paying attention to the story anymore. Instead, what we're doing is we are churning out media very fast and we're hyping up things like the cameras that were used. And let me look at Oppenheimer. Let's hype up the cameras that are used, you know, or in Jurassic World, let's hype up the cast. Or Yeti, let's just hype up the fact that we're Yeti <laughs> and that it's going to be, everybody's going to watch it because we're Yeti, you know? And so they end up hyping up things that don't really have anything to do with the story. And by the time you watch it, sure, they may be pretty films. They may have a great cast. They may have, you know, really good, um, really good cinematography, but the story just isn't good. And you don't even really remember it anymore because it, it's so forgettable. And I feel like that happens over and over again. And I honestly blame social media for that. And the fact that people today just seem to be sucked into um, really cheap forms of entertainment. Like, for example, uh, all the Marvel movies and the Avengers series and things like that. Like, I, I can't stand any of that stuff because to me, it's all the same. And if you're listening to this podcast, you may like that stuff and that's fine. But to me, it's always the same thing over and over again. And people love watching them because they love the shoot 'em up type movies with tons of action and people flying all over the place and tons of CGI and graphics and things. But to me, I'm a fan of the story. Like, where's the story? Like, let's stop having all this crazy nonstop action and let's just have like some really great story. And if the story includes action then great. But have the story be the main thing that you're focused on and everything else revolve around that. And so in saying that, there are some projects that I have watched that I think are really well that have come out recently. For example, I think Top Gun Maverick was a 10 out of 10. I think Top Gun Maverick did a tremendous job of building off the previous story, which came out decades ago. Okay, so it came out a long time ago as a cult following. You've got a lot to live up to. And they not only lived up to it, but they connected to the two together seamlessly and carried all of what made the first one good into the second one, but then improved upon it. They had a, a wonderful story, an excellent cla- uh, cast, and the cinematography was fantastic. And they had really great... Um, practical effects, they too, like Oppenheimer, didn't have to have as much CGI work. I mean, of course they had to have some, but they didn't have as much because they did a lot of practical effects and they just focused on the story and telling it in a real raw way. And I thought it was just so incredibly well done. And of course, of course the the action is great. And of course the cinematography is great. The score is great. The cast is great. All those things are great. And a lot of the other projects I've mentioned today 
also had great cinematography and casts and, and graphics and things of that nature. But what made Maverick a complete film was the story. And that's one you can watch over and over again because the story is so good. Another one I watched recently um, that just came out uh, like like a week or so ago was uh, the untold documentary of Swamp Kings. Untold is a series of, of doc projects. A lot of them are mainly sports focused. And I watched the, the one that just came out called Swamp Kings about the Florida Gators and um, their time with uh, Urban Meyer being their head coach when they got Tim Tebow and they went to win uh, two national championships, almost won a third. Um, and that whole documentary was incredibly well done. Uh, it, it went through, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how many hours of, of footage they had, footage of games, footage of people on campus, footage of, of, of these players working out. I mean, this story took place in like 2006 to like 2009 or 10-ish. So back, you know, 14, 15 years ago. Yet that that footage that they had from from that period of time, they had so much of it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of footage. And they went through all of it and pulled out all the right stuff and got great interview questions and by, mind you like they're interviewing football players and coaches and and uh, sports writers and things and a lot of these guys aren't used to being on camera but they're well coached through their interviews they speak well on camera obviously the producer and the people that were like coaching them and helping them direct them did a great job of getting them to speak well and get their their answers the answers that they were looking for out of them and they took those answers from their interviews and cut them together in this really great linear timeline that walks you through Urban Meyer's arrival at at uh the University of Florida, and when he left, and and everything that happened the entire time he was there, in a linear, non Christopher Nolan style, weird fashion, just a great linear project with really good dialogue, and and, and really well told stories, cut with all the footage that they had that they went through, and it was tremendously done. I, I just thought it was so great, and I remember when a lot of that happened. I was in high school back then. But watching it on this documentary, it tells you all the things that you didn't know about, and it really puts you there and lets you understand what really happened, what they accomplished, and what they missed out on. And I, I just thought it was tremendous. And and the, the music was great, and any graphics they have were great, but what really made it good was the story. It was just absolutely incredible. Another project I think is really good is The Terminal List. Now, Terminal List is based on a, a book series, um, and Amazon came out with a season, the first season based on one of the books that follows Chris Pratt. And he is a former military, uh, guy who comes back and has this whole crazy like conspiracy that's is happening and unfolding around him. And he basically gets framed for his family's murder and he gets framed for, um, or blamed for the death of his, um, soldiers that he commanded uh, back overseas. And the whole film like follows him, this whole season follows him as he tries to find who's behind all of these, like like the murder of his family and the death of his, of his um, 
of his soldiers that 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 that, that he commanded, and him trying to figure out not only who's behind it all, but try to prove that it wasn't him. And it, it was it was crazy. It had a lot of action, and again, great cinematography. But the story was fantastic. And here's the thing: like Oppenheimer was based on a book. If you're listening to this and and you heard me talk about Oppenheimer, you might say, well, the reason why they focused on the trial and stuff is because it's based on the book. But the reality is, is that you can have a series like The Terminalist that's based on a book and still make it watchable and understandable for viewers in a way that is told with a great beginning, middle, and end. And Terminalist did a great job of that. Whereas Oppenheimer, which was also, again, based on a book, maybe the book did focus a lot on the on the trial that took place on whether or not he should lose his security clearance. But that doesn't mean that the whole movie should have been about that. You can take inspiration from the book, but still turn it into a movie with a great story. Terminalist did that. Oppenheimer did not. Last Dance, it's another great documentary that came out a year or two ago or whatever it was. You know, it was all the footage that they had of Michael Jordan's last season. And they cut it together into this incredible 10-part series. It's very good. Very good story great interviews, and a lot of great supporting footage. And so there are good stories still being produced that are still coming out, whether they're online stories or stories on streaming services or movies that are coming to theaters. There are still good stories out there, but they're harder and harder to find today because more and more of what you're finding are stuff like River Pirate by Yeti, where, okay, we're going to we're going to kind of scratch the surface about this Texas water safari and we're going to mention that it's really tough and we're going to show a little bit of that, but then that's it. The rest of the time it's just going to be, you know, pretty music and rowing boats. <laughs> it's just like, come on. But like, that's pretty much what a lot of these projects are, are, are becoming today. And I really and truly believe it's because people are getting so used to watching short form content and they're getting so accustomed to watching things that are have a lot of graphics or action or that have pretty music or that are shot well. And those are the things that people care about far more than they do the story. And I think that's so unfortunate because as humans inherently, I said this at the beginning of the podcast, we're storytellers. We've been storytellers since the beginning of time. Just go read the Bible, man. The stories in the Old Testament are, are crazy, but they're good. And we have been doing that for as far back as people can go. But today, more than ever, we seem to not care about the story. We only care about what grabs our attention for the uh, uh, such a brief moment in time. And I think it's so unfortunate because there are so many wonderful stories out there to tell, some that are fictional and many that are non-fictional. Um, but there are fewer and fewer people today who care to tell those stories or at least tell them well. Uh, they just want to get something out that looks pretty and get it out as fast as possible and get on the next one. And I, I think that's really sad. So if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, I would say try not to buy into the hype. When you go watch a film like Oppenheimer, you know, if you truly love the story, if you think the story is amazing, that's your opinion, you're, you're welcome to have that. Um, but do your best to look at it analytically and really think, man, was this a good story? Or did I just watch it because it looked pretty? and was shot on a cool camera and had a good cast and because people told me it was good? Or was it actually really a good story? Like, ask yourself that question. 
And if you're a storyteller, if you're someone who likes to produce short film content or doc content or are working on a narrative content, maybe you're writing the story for a narrative content, an indie film you want to make. If that's you, I want to encourage you to focus on the story and put that first. The camera you shoot it on shouldn't matter that much. I mean, it, it plays a role, but the it doesn't matter if you shoot it on IMAX if there's not, not a good story that goes with it. It's like focus less on the camera, focus less on the graphics and you know having big names or anything like that. And focus so much more on the story itself. I, I had a podcast episode, it was actually the episode before this one, episode 93, uh, called Scripting the Unscripted, where I talked about how to how to script for stories that don't have a script, meaning uh, projects that you're following that haven't unfolded yet, stories that haven't happened yet, and you're telling them while they're happening. Um, you can tell an amazing story even with content that hasn't yet taken place. So imagine what you can do with stories that have already taken place, whether you're telling the story of of Urban Meyer in, in Florida, or if you're just telling the story about a river race that takes place near your home. There are a lot of stories out there to be told, whether they've already happened or not. And it's just up to you as a storyteller to figure out the art behind how to tell them. So quit posting hyped up pictures of you with your fancy beard and your man bun and your red camera and focus more on your craft and telling a really great story so that people who follow you can really appreciate the art of storytelling, not the hype. Thanks guys for listening to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you like what you listen to, be sure to follow the podcast. Um, And if you enjoyed it, please rate it. I would love to get a five-star rating from you guys and a review. And remember, go to Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today where we can continue this conversation and chat about many other things video related. I'll see you guys next week. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.